Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for this story. It's short, actually. We read in a quick sitting. But we thank you for it. And uh, Lord, just pray that you would teach us through your word this morning. Your holy, inspired, infallible word. That we might uh, not only uh, hear it and be edified and learn. But that our hearts would be moved uh, into fellowship and communion with you as our God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, I've probably, y'all probably heard this story a few times, or maybe heard me talk about it. Years ago, we, we made a mistake as a family, and we thought it would be a good idea to buy uh, a, a couple of beagles. It's a dog breed, and uh, they're, um, they're cute, especially as puppies, um, but we made a mistake. We bought beagles from, uh, instead of a breeder that would breed uh, beagles to be good little house dogs and cuddly little friends. Instead, we bought them from rabbit hunters because it was cheaper. So these dogs were bred to run, to catch a scent and go. And that they did. Any chance. And, and I've, we still, I have a hard time with this because, you know, if we leave the door cracked now, we, I get a little, I, I stop myself, but our dog now just sits there and looks at, out the door. He's like, we're not going out. We're not going out. You know, but my beagles, if there was the smallest crack in the door, if, if they would find ways under the under the fence, they were gone. And, and so I, and I spent a lot of time chasing those beagles until one day I just got tired of it. And uh, my parents actually were here with our kids and uh, one of them left the gate open and those beagles went running as they did. And I decided I wasn't going to run after them anymore. I decided I am not going after those dogs. And so I didn't. I was like, I don't care where they go. I'm tired chasing those dogs. And I made a mistake of doing what I'm doing right now. I mentioned that in a sermon. And somebody who knew somebody on Facebook, or something, they found those dogs, and I had to get, go get those dogs. But I didn't want to. So, but, you know, I, just when you think about if you have children or somebody that you love, and they run off, you go get them. Right? That's natural. Whatever. And here in, Jonah, in, in the book of Jonah, we see where that's what happens. You see Jonah, God comes to Jonah and, and wants him to go uh, prophesy judgment to the Ninevites, and he runs. And we see God's response to him. But we, let's just rewind real quick and talk about the book of Jonah. Because one of the questions about Jonah is, what is this book really about? Because very often, we, I've heard it preached, and I've heard kids talk about it. As in the sense of, all right, you know, we see it in our children's curriculums or whatever. It's, you know, it's a story of, of being a good moral person. And this is an example of what you should not do. Don't be like Jonah. So Jonah's given this prophetic call. God calls him, wants him to do something. And Jonah disobeys and, go, and runs and goes the other direction. And so God, um, and so he ends up in the belly of a well, in, in this horrible, situation so if, if you don't want to end up in the belly of a well be a good person and do what God says right and and so we see that but if you do end up in the belly well repent and then do what God says and then happily ever after and that's sort of the moral of the story right don't be like Jonah but if you do be sure to repent because then you can go do what God wants you to do but that's not the end of the story the real end of the story is we're left you know if 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 that was the moral of the story, the end of the story would have been that, you know, Ninevites 
uh, repented, and everybody's happily ever after, and Jonah, Jonah celebrates with God now that he has been obedient and so on. But that's not the end of the story. At the end of the story, we see Jonah, he's ticked off. He's angry. He's furious with God. And then it ends. That's the end of the story. So what's the story about? We've said that the story, in a lot of ways, is really not about being a good person or being a moral person. It's really a story about Jonah's idolatry. In other words, the things that... What is idolatry? Idolatry means to put anything in front of God. It's not this way you worship a little statue or something like that. That can be idolatry. But it's to put anything, success, wealth, pleasure, comfort, anything, relationships, your job, your career. If you put anything in front of God, that is what the Bible calls idolatry. And we see that idolatry can actually be kind of a subtle, very quiet thing. That we may not notice. But how does God respond then? We've seen Jonah's uh, idolatry. We've seen where idolatry can take us. It takes us down into darkness and spiritual blindness. It takes us down. But what does God do? What does God do in response to idolatry? Here's the good news. The good news is that God comes after us God follows after us chases after us in our idolatry and that's what we see here and so we see that God chases after and he works to break our idolatry so how does he do that here with Jonah let's look because I think it'll give us some good uh, ideas about how God is working in our own lives to break our idolatry so how does he do it? So first of all, we see that God breaks our idolatry, first of all, by allowing us to run. God breaks our idolatry by allowing us to run. Uh, Paul David Tripp, actually speaking on uh, Jonah, said, I thought this was hilarious. He said, if I were God, the story of Jonah would have been a very short story. In other words, he's like, he wouldn't, as soon as he ran, he would have been like, you know, blow him up, he's out, gone. That was, I can relate to that, right? Very often, you know, it would be like, as soon as Jonah started running, boom, you're done, gone. But, here's the thing, so we see the word of God comes to Jonah, chapter 1, Jonah takes off. But if you think about it, it was really God's mercy allowing him to run. God could have stopped him. He could, have, he could have not even allowed him to get on the boat. But instead, God allows Jonah to leave. And, and he could have caused him to remain in his city. But instead, God, in his mercy and love, allows Jonah to take flight. It's a, that's a, an interesting thought, isn't it? God sometimes allows us to do what we need to do or what we think we need to do however psalm 145 8 says the lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger abounding in steadfast love so thankfully god isn't like paul david tripp or me he allows us to go he allows us to experience and, and it's, so for example another example of this is in um luke chapter um 15 
when the prodigal son, everybody knows the story of the prodigal son, right? And, and, and the, the son comes to the father, I want my inheritance. And he takes off into the wild country. Here's the thing, the father allowed him to do that. Why? But sometimes you got to let people experience the consequences of their sin. Sometimes to be a good parent means you allow your children, and this is the part of the, the difficulty of parenting in the rub as they get older and older, is when do you allow them to just face the consequence of what they're doing? You know? And that, that we, that's the danger of what we call, they call helicopter parenting, or one, one, uh, one, I heard one pastor talk about it as curling parenting. You know, curling is when they slide the little rock on the ice, and you got the guy with the broom in front of it, you know, sweeping back and forth to keep, make sure there's no friction. And so parents are trying to keep their kids from any kind of friction, any kind of discomfort, any kind of disappointment or whatever, and these kids end up turning out to be brats. But a good parent knows sometimes you just got to let your kid go and fail and experience heartache, experience struggle. And that's what God does in His mercy. You see, sometimes He just allows us to hit it, to hit that bottom. And that's a part of his love and his grace for us. So, God breaks our idolatry first by first just allowing Jonah to learn, to run. Secondly, God breaks our idolatry by sending storms and fish. Notice in chapter 1, verse 4. It is very clear. It says that God sends the storm. Did you see that? God sends the storm. It is not an accident. It doesn't say a storm came along. It's not a passive thing. It says that God himself sent the storm. Uh, and a matter of fact, the language, uh, if, you, if you study the word itself in the Hebrew language, it's actually more like hurling something or throwing something a long way. So God says, God reared up and he threw, like, you know, Peyton Manning style, the storm towards, as Jonah's leaving, he's going for it. reminds me of, uh, remember the, Ru Russell Crowe in Robin Hood? You know, at the very end, and, and the bad guy's riding on, he's going to get away. And he grabs an arrow and he times it just right and throws his, throws his arrow, hurls his arrow. And catches him. And that's what happens here. We see this with him. That God, God is pictured as throwing the storm out to catch Jonah on the run. That is the picture we get. Okay? So this storm is no accident. And as a matter of fact, we're told that God sent the fish as well. So God, God brings storms in our lives. He brings difficult, rough, painful circumstances into our lives on purpose. You know, notice in verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So the, the word here is to, to plan, to appoint, to orchestrate. And so if anywhere in the Bible you want to go to a place and say, why is there suffering in my life sometimes? Let me tell you, if you're a believer, God is orchestrating sometimes your suffering. 
That's hard to hear, isn't it? Why would he do that? Well, if you're, if you're a parent, you know. The same reason sometimes we've got to let our kids go and fail. Sometimes we have to create consequences so that they learn, right? If you have a little kid and they start running out in the road, you've got to teach them that's bad. So you have, we, we will orchestrate an alternative consequence, discipline, so that they won't face the worst consequence, right? That's what parenting can be about a lot of times. And that's what God does. God breaks our idolatry by sending storms and fish into our lives. And so this idea that God would send storms, hurl them out, and that God would appoint fish to swallow people up is, is presupposing that God is sovereign and that God is powerful and sovereign and has authority in this world and that he is creating circumstances in our lives for good or for bad. And God here is causing Jonah to suffer. He could have not sent the storm. He could have not had the fish. And Jonah could have lived a happy little life over in Tarshish, whatever that place was like. Maybe it maybe had like palm trees and stuff. Who knows? And coconuts. Why would God do this? God is working to expose and, and destroy the idols that drive us away from him. The things that drive us. We said that it, the idols of our hearts, by nature, drive us away from God. To put anything before him, it's, it's going to move you away from a relationship and communion with God. Okay? And so, God brings things in our lives. So, for example, uh, the Apostle Paul, he, gives, he talks about this in his own life. So bring it up for me in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. This. He, he, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So he's saying that he, there was a chance that he could have put an idol in his heart, the Apostle Paul, that he, because he had been given great revelations from God, he had been appointed as an apostle, the leader of the church, that he could have potentially become conceited. That's possible, right? We see it all the time. Pastors who become conceited because of what they've been. So God sent something his way. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh. We don't know what that is. Some say maybe it might have been blindness, might have been another physical ailment. Who knows? We don't know what that thorn was. However, by the nature of thorn, in your flesh doesn't sound pleasant. Okay, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, God said to me, my grace is for you, for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God brought Paul, the Apostle Paul, brought him painful circumstance or painful situation. Why? So that he would not put other things before God, but rather trust God and, and worship God in, in love and in respect and in, in, in obedience. That's why God sent storms and fish into our lives. So whatever his thorn might have been, God brought suffering prevent his selfish idolatry 
so God sends storms and fish to break our idolatry. Lastly, God breaks our idolatry by bringing our death. God breaks our idolatry by bringing about our death. Now look at look here in chapter two with me. It's, it's a lot of poetry here. It's a poem, actually. I I think that's pretty amazing. If if we take this story literally, you know, some don't. Uh, but I I do personally. But so either he's writing this after the fact, or he is amazing poet in the belly of a fish writing this. But regardless, it's very poetic language to describe how he felt and what he was experiencing and what, what position and place he ended up in in his idolatry. Okay, so look at this with me, okay? So chapter 2, it's really a theological reflection on what he experienced when he was human fish food. Okay, this chapter is a litany, actually, of, of references to psalms. Okay, look at him. Okay, here he goes. He goes, uh, verse 2, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep. Okay, verse 4, I am driven away from your sight. Verse 5, the waters closed over, my, closed over me to take my life, and so on and so on. And they're all references, actually, to death. Whether, you want, whether, whether it be emotional, spiritual, physical death, it is all references to death. And so we see God brought Jonah all the way to the point of death. All the way to the point. Okay? And so the story is Jonah went into the ocean and died. It's a story of resurrection, we see, at the end of this passage. At the end of this uh, chapter, that God spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited him out. And so much so that Jesus, when Jesus, referring to his own death and his resurrection, says, like Jonah was in the belly for three days, I will be in the grave for three days. So Jonah is brought to the point of death. And let me tell you what. God is leading you there too. God wants you to die. Russell, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about dying physically. God is letting you chase your sin and your idolatry. And God is sending storms and fish into your life to bring about death to self. Death to to the heart of selfishness in you that needs to die. Sinclair Ferguson, Scottish preacher, says this, the last enemy to be destroyed in the believer is self and selfishness. It dies hard. It will make any concession if only it is allowed to live. Self will permit the believer to do anything, Give anything, suffer anything, go anywhere, take any liberties, bear any crosses, afflict soul and body to any degree, anything, if it can only live. It will consent to live in a hovel, in a garret, in the slums, and and far away in a heathendom, if only it can be spared. The 
the last enemy in our hearts to die. Uh, Kim Keller put it this way. The way of the gospel is death leading to resurrection. Weakness resulting in triumphant exaltation. The way the gospel works in Jesus' life is the way it is working in our life. As Jesus suffered and died, excuse me, suffering and death led to greater life, we find the same thing happening in our life. So that God is bringing about death in us so that we might live. So we might die to ourselves, we might live to him. Paul talks about it. The life that I now live, I live in Christ. The life that I had, I died in. Now I live and live for Christ and Christ alone and not myself. And so God works circumstances, difficult things in our lives so that we might die to self, we might be raised to life and worship in him. So here's the thing. We've said this. The good news is, cheer up. You're a worse idolater. You're way more selfish, sinful than you ever dare dream. But God doesn't just leave us there. God chases after us. God pursues us. He, he comes after us. He, he's been called in history the holy hound that would ch- chase after us and come after us relentlessly over and over and over again. Unlike me, as a horrible dog owner, he doesn't one day just say, I'm just tired of running after them dogs. Who cares? God never tires of chasing us and pursuing us, hurling storms, appointing fish, allowing us to go to a place of, of death to ourselves so that we might be spit out. We might be vomited out to life. It's put in, the, in Jonah. So, here's some takeaways. First of all, don't miss the opportunity that suffering brings in your life. Okay? Uh, and, and, and so one, one author put it this way. Until we see God-sent storms as interventions and not punishments... We'll never get better. We'll just get better. God is appointing. So we need to re- recognize that the hard things in life, the things that God is allowing in your life, the things that God is orchestrating in your life, God is using for your good. That you might die to self and be raised to life in him. So in Hebrews chapter 12 it says, My son, do not regard lightly the dis- discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord just disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In other words, don't, I'll put it this way. Uh, we, my wife and I went through a really difficult time at a church in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was allowed, I was given the opportunity to sit with Sinclair Ferguson, the Scottish preacher. For, and he sat with me for a couple of hours, and we talked about all kinds of stuff. He's a really amazing man. Um, and one of the things he said was, he said, Russell, I'm not going to try to mimic it, but he said it in a Scottish accent, and so it makes it everything sound better. But he said, Russell, kiss the rod. Kiss the rod of God's reproof, because the hand that holds it is good. And I never think back of when, you know, my granddad would, you know, switch us or whatever. It was always done because he loved us, and I knew he did. 
don't miss the opportunity suffering brings. Secondly, be thankful that be thankful suffering is from God. It's not an accident. The junk you're going through, the, the struggle that you face is not an accident. His hands are on the wheel. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. It would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think I have an affliction which God never sent me. That the bitter cup was never filled by his hands. That my trials were never measured out by him nor sent to me by his arraignment of their weight and quantity. And, And Spurgeon himself had his measure of suffering, of depression, and he suffered terribly with gout physical pain struggle most of his life he said i can't imagine how hard it would be if i didn't know this came right from god and it was measured out by him second thirdly lastly rejoice in suffering because god is good rejoice in suffering because god is good and it's not punishment is brought for your good. So Romans 5, we're told that we are justified by faith. We are made right with God. We have peace with God. Not only that, but we rejoice in verse uh, 3. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because we know it's from God. We know it's good. We know that we are made right with Him. We have peace with Him. And so we know now that the suffering that come will produce in us good things. And so Paul, chapter, Philippians chapter 3, so whatever things were gained to me, those I've kind of lost. Counted everything lost for the surpassing value of knowing Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank